step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining in today, which is April 28th, 2020. We're doing a special broadcast with Holly Kinley. She's returning to us. She's a fabulous author, an amazing professional in her field, and I just love her book, Daughters Betrayed by Their Mothers, Moving from Brokenness to Wholeness. I read the whole entire book, and it is so helpful. Today's topic is going to be about self-shaming, and uh, just to give you a little background, Holly is a California licensed marriage and family therapist, and she's also a California state licensed teacher. She holds a master's degree in psychology with an emphasis in marriage, family, and child counseling. She's currently located in Rancho Mirage, California. She's authored nine recovery books, but today we will be discussing her daughters betrayed by the mothers. Hello, Holly. I'm so excited to have you back. Hello, Denise, and I thank you so much for for having me back. I so enjoy our conversations, and I'm looking forward to today's on self-shaming. Well, let's just get right to it. Okay. Um, I thought it might be helpful, Denise, for our audience, for me to kind of give a, a definition, to kind of couch self-shaming so we know what we're all talking about here. So uh, I define self-shaming as either the cognitive or it can be a behavioral practice of self-devaluation. And so it's something that's in our thinking, but it is also can present in our behaving. But the important point is, is that we self-devalue in these thoughts or in these behaviors. And this usually comes about as the result of feeling shame or being shamed by someone, or it could even be something And so with that, let me give a few examples. Um, If we 
talking to, if we're talking with children or even young adults who today are experiencing bullying and cyberbullying, and that's a, if it's repetitive behavior and they um, are victims of that, they tend to self-shame with statements like, I'm stupid, I'm ugly, I'm not as popular as them, no one likes me. If we take a look at another example, let's say partners who are in toxic or dangerous uh, relationships or abusive environments, uh, again, this is going on for a period of time and they internalize that as that something's wrong with them. And so they might self-shame by saying such things as I don't matter, uh, something's wrong with me, it's, it's all my fault. In the Daughters Betrayed by Their Mother's books, um, these, are, of course, were daughters who were raised in abusive, critical, unstable, and, and sometimes very neglectful environments, um, and by their mothers, but some also included their fathers as well. And so some of their life messages, which were um, so powerful, these self-shaming messages were, were, I don't matter, I'm not lovable, I'm not enough, I don't know why I'm here. So as we can see, self-shaming is, is, is a very powerful and a very impactful uh, practice that repetitive thinking um, or, or behaving um, thing that we do. Mm-hmm. Are most people conscious that they're practicing this? You know, what I have found, Denise, is that, of course, when we're young and we're growing up, we we aren't conscious of it. We're taking in our life experiences. We're, it, what we do kind of tend to know that there is a conflict many times between what are, what we're being told or what we're being taught or what we even perceive, what our value or our worth should be, and then what we're experiencing. In, in, inside and what and how we're being treated. So there's that that conflict of how things are supposed to be and and what we're feeling. But I find that most people don't usually think about the degree of their self-shaming or how it's impacting them. And this isn't mm-hmm. everyone, but I just look at my clients who I've worked with over the years. Is that many times that's what brings them in. And again, they they may not really be verbalizing that, but very quickly because I'm listening for it and I'm picking up on it and I reflect it back to them, then they begin to see, oh, yes, this is, this is the dialogue I'm having with myself. And they may not even early on be able to pinpoint how that's impacting them on a lot of different levels. So it usually takes somebody reflecting it back in a safe environment for them to become cognizant of if they're doing that and how much they're doing it and how it's impacting them. If their mothers themselves and they're undergoing therapy change the pattern with their own children, News is yes. Um, I right now in my practice, I have and have had for almost a couple of years now, for 
almost all females. And I, I love working with males too, so I want to put that out there. And another, a number of them are mothers, and a couple are grandmothers. And um, th when they came in, they have said, you know, once we start recognizing and naming and identifying these self-shaming messages, or what I often refer to as life messages, um, because there can be other kinds of messages that they are, are working through as well, is that they they once they identify what's going on with them and what that source is, they either want to, well, first of all, want to work on themselves, but they don't want to repeat the pattern. And many times it's when um, a female becomes a mother or when she is triggered at a certain age where her uh, she started experiencing abusive behaviors that she comes in, sometimes not being really totally cognizant of, of why, but comes in because she senses that something is not right, it's not working for her, and she wants to change uh, what's going on with her, and, and then, again, not repeat it. Takes a lot of work. Yes. Yes, it does. And it especially takes a lot of work, and this is part of the insidious nature of self-shaming behaviors, is that if the individual wants to stay in relationship with the person or persons who are shaming him and her, mm -hmm. it's very, very difficult work. It can be done. I, I, <laughs> I want yeah. to put that out there. It can be done, but it has. It is it's, possible. It is extremely difficult. Yes. Well, you would have some of some people would have to change their entire environment. Yes, um, you know, and again, depending if we look back at the daughters betrayed by their mother's book, is that most well, all of the daughters weren't able to even begin to address um, their injuries and injustices, and some of them weren't even, as we've talked about, even really aware of, of them and how it was impacting them. But they knew that they needed to get out of their environments. Uh, the only ex and so they all left home at about age 18. Bettina, the last chapter, was the only daughter who stayed a couple years longer. She was from Germany, and she needed to attend the the level of school that goes beyond high school, and so she was staying at home for a couple more years. Um, one other daughter, her mom lost Alejandra, her mother lost custody of her, and her father raised her, um, and so there was minimal contact, but there was still an unhealthy system in place. So, yes, it, it, it does take um, being able to I mean, it's, it's easier if you can remove yourself from the situation. However, many of the daughters didn't start to really do their heavy and their deep work till as they moved, went to college, moved on into their careers and in relationships. And here's the key, Denise, as they found that their interpersonal relationships or even their careers, that they were struggling. They weren't able to... Um, really fully 
be who they wanted to be and, and have healthy relationships. And so then they started entering into their different kinds of, of recovery uh, methodologies and such. So it is it is easier, but it's still hard work. In my prior betrayal book, The Breaking Through Betrayal and Recovering the Peace Within, um, I have a whole section on in the in these latter part of the book and the second part of the book about what I call uh, selective investment. And because many times we can't, you know, ghost or completely disown or, and we don't want to family members, but, and this comes after a lot of other work. I mean, individuals have to do their other healing work before they are even ready or willing to get to a place where they're going to choose how much they're going to select how much of themselves they're going to invest into another person. And that might sound strange or weird to people, but as long as we continue to give away our worth, we teach people how to treat us. And if we continue to accept being mistreated by others, then we're going to continue to self-shame and self-devalue. And, and so it, it is hard work, but we can learn to, here's the key, Denise. So what we have to do in our healing work is first learn how to invest trust and believe in ourselves first and in our own well-being. And with that, years of work and years of um, months, sometimes years of work, when we come more empowered, we're not going to, if you will, tolerate unacceptable behaviors. And so, and in part of that is that we're not going to invest ourselves into those, what I call, unworthy attachments. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, how does self-esteem mold into this? Um, it's everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, it, you know, when we when we are growing up and when we're we're forming our beliefs about ourselves and our worth, um, by no later than age five, we are we are kind of. It, it may not, of course, we're so young be really a conscious thing that we're doing, but mm-hmm. we're experiencing life. We're growing up, and and we're getting from our primary caregivers and others who are entrusted with our well-being uh, within our environments. We're, we're getting messages to us about our worth and our value. Do I matter? Am I important? Am I enough? And our our teachers, if you will, all those people externally, and, and they can be other things as well, too, mm-hmm. are letting us know that. So Everything is based in in our worth and and in our value. And if that isn't affirmed and validated as we grow and develop, then we, of course, are not going to have a strong sense of identity, of esteem, of of mattering, of belonging. It it all goes to that core of worth and value. So as as a mother, how do you instill these values into your children so that they they have a higher sense of self-esteem? 
Well, I there's there's so many things that we can do. I I my latest book, I just want to mention this because it goes to this question, is called Pilates for Parenting. And it was actually inspired, Denise, by my work that I did on, on the daughter's book. Um, so it's called Pilates for Parenting, Stretch Yourself and Strengthen Your Family. And after doing that heavy, heavy work with the daughter's book, I wanted to take the lessons that I was reminded of as a mother and what the daughters also taught me and teaches the audience um, by learning about what, and I say we because I'm chapter one in the mm-hmm. book, um, mm-hmm. but I wanted to turn it into something really positive and um, I needed to do that after finishing the daughter's book. So what I say in, in the book is that everything we say and do as parents matters and everything we don't say and do matters and the the first chapter is called you know are you present for your child are you present and available for your for your child and one of the things that i discovered uh, from the daughter's research was that the mothers were unwilling, unable, or in some instances, incapable of showing up for their daughters in the ways that their daughters needed them. Ah. That, and that's not an excuse. That, that's, that's just a, a broad you know, explanation, mm-hmm. unable, mm-hmm. unwilling, or incapable. You know, many of the mothers, as you know, Denise, had, had some pretty severe um, disorders like bipolar yes. and and mm-hmm. such. So mm-hmm. in that is that we as mothers and as fathers, we have a responsibility to take care of our issues, of our of our mental health, of our of our well or our physical health, of our well being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if we I, that's the number one thing I have in that chapter. There's two or three things. But that's our responsibility is to uh, be open and to assess that and to take care of that if we can't mm-hmm. be willing and capable of taking care of our children. Mm. Excellent point. So as we get back into the, um, the nature of self-shaming, what makes it so difficult to address? Oh, Denise, um, thank you for asking that because this is such an important point, uh, such an important question, is that self-shaming is one of the most insidious and injurious aspects about it is that it's shrouded in secrecy and in silence. I mean, first of all, who wants to just, you know, go out and tell people I'm, I'm self-shaming or I feel this way about myself? So, but putting that aside is that what happens is that most individuals who are self-shaming don't feel safe to share it because the person who is shaming them is usually a person of authority or of power or of influence. And so, for example, in the daughter's cases, they 
didn't, they weren't safe to share it. If they did, they were further shamed or blamed or risked some type of, of repercussions. So first of all, it's not safe to share. Secondly, is that many individuals who, who do share are told to either toughen up, you know, get over it, take it like a man, or you know, what's wrong with you, just, you know, whatever, again, they're, they're shamed. And so they feel, they internalize that, and they feel really weak, and they're embarrassed. Again, that leads to another self-shaming message. It's like something's wrong with me because I can't endure this. I can't, um, I'm, I'm not strong enough. They're, you know, I'm being told that I need to get over it. So it's it's kind of a vicious cycle. And in that, if we never as a child or a young adult or even an adult, have that safe space to self-check that self-shaming message with someone. Person say, that is just absolutely not true. You know, why would you think that? Let's, let's take a look at that. Who's saying that to you? And, and you know, so you, you have no one to self-check it with or you're not, you don't feel safe to. And so over the years, we, it's such a repetitive pattern that we get into is just constantly that obsessive uh, self-shaming, reinforcing it in ourselves, and that becomes our truth about ourselves, and we have no way of really um, getting our real truth out there, and, and as I said, processing it with someone. So that those are some of the reasons, and then I want to put out this next one, Denise, because it's so important, is that especially in the daughter's book, is mm -hmm. that the daughters did not speak up and they kept it silent and secret because of the cultural, ethnic, spiritual, societal norms regarding mothers and motherhood. Mm. We are to respect our mothers. We are to regard them. Denise, I want to share a little story with you. Um, Great. It's been almost about a year and a half ago, I was speaking to a chapter in the Pasadena area, and it was a California Association of Marriage and Family Therapists. It was one of their chapters. And I, I share that it was in Pasadena because it was a very large chapter. The workshop was full. It was on maternal betrayal, analysis, and implications for intervention. The audience was also extremely diverse, and I, I bring that up for a specific reason, and I'll, which I'll share in just a moment. So I'm giving the workshop, and throughout this workshop, I do set aside some pause points for audience members to ask questions. I use this heavy material, sensitive material, tender materials, I want to, you know, check in with them. Denise, during the whole workshop, no one asked one question, except right before the very end, one participant raised her hand and she said, I was just curious, were any of the daughters that you interviewed adopted? And I hmm. said no, and, you know, thanked her for the question and finished up the workshop. At the end of the workshop, I always make myself available to audience members, if they want to chat or ask questions. In this ballroom that I was in, at the end of the workshop, there was a line from where I was standing at the front, almost all, way, all the way to the back. Oh, my gosh. 
mostly females, some males, and one at a time, they came up to me with tears in their eyes, telling me they just needed a hug. And they whispered things to me like this, Denise. Mm. No one's ever spoken about this before. I'm from South Korea. I'm Korean, and we don't talk about this. The Mm. next person. I'm from Spain. We don't dare talk about this, about our mothers. Thank you. I'm from a huge Italian family. We wouldn't ever talk about this. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. And so that's my point, is that not only are all there, are, is the, you know, the repressive pieces within our own family systems, but mm-hmm. there are these societal norms and culture norms, as I, I've just mm-hmm. illustrated. Mm-hmm. Excellent illustration. Heartbreaking. Yeah. I don't know how, how you carried that out of there with you. <laughs> it, um, it's knowing that, well, it's, it is very heavy, I, of course. I, I, uh, the workshop is heavy. The, that in and of itself is heavy. And, mm-hmm. and Denise, you know, I, I don't want to minimize it for a second because, of course, I have to take care of myself before I go into a workshop like that, mm-hmm. implement mm-hmm. self-care after a workshop like that. And I do have to say that the two-year study, that I, the two years that it took me to interview the daughters and to write the mm-hmm. book, that that taught me a lot about mm-hmm. self-care and working with this issue and helping um, the folks that I, that I help, in, not only in workshops, but in my private practice as well. Mm. Well... I'm speechless. I, <laughs> I know. You know what? I'll, I just, Denise, kind of add to that is that um, it's just a related point. And when I say this, I don't ever want to minimize, and I don't minimize anyone's experience because one incident of shaming is is too much. So when I, what I want to say is that the longer that someone waits, that they you know, they're, if they're hearing this today and they are self-shaming that, you know, if it's been 20 years, if it's been 30 years, if it's been 40 years, is that it is really, really hard work because the longer you have done that is mm-hmm. that you, those have become your truths about yourself. And yet at the same time, if they read the daughter's book, if they listen to me right now, and right now I happen to have um, all female clients for whatever reason. Um, I, like I said, I do enjoy working with males. Um, and most of them came in for some other reason. Uh, but then as we started to peel away um, these self-shaming life messages, it does usually go to some primary caretaker in their environment who a lot of the shaming came from their abuse or whatever, however mm-hmm. we're going to package that. And they are working so hard. I have a client or I had, um, she's finished up now, but she um, came in and she's in her late 60s, never been in counseling before, and for almost two years has worked incredibly hard and she is doing beautifully 
So it can be done. I just want to put mm-hmm. that out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about unworthy attachments. Mm. Okay. Yes. I what I. Uh, talk about and when I'm speaking on this topic is that as we've been talking about many of our sources that that bring about self self-shaming are external okay there that's just makes sense they come from our primary caregivers they come from other environments of, of betrayal and and also today social media plays a huge part in in that so I don't want to minimize that at all at the same time, I do put into a category that some of the self-shaming comes from our belief systems and from our choices and from our unworthy, what I call unworthy attachments. And, and I've kind of alluded to this a bit, but I, it, it's super important. So I identify unworthy attachments as any time we invest into any unhealthy relationship where we allow others to devalue, diminish, and demean us in in any way. Now, that could be an abusive relationship, a codependent relationship, a controlling relationship. And I do want to say, Denise, right up front that with you know with children who cannot get out of these environments or young people or even in adult relationships of course uh, there are many factors that play in that individuals cannot um, get out of their environment or their circumstances so i mean i I just want to make sure I, i put that out there on the other hand is that again this goes back to our core worth and value we are hardwired for connection. At birth, we start to form attachments, and that's how we get that sense of belonging and and that we matter and all of that. And we, we need those needs to continue to be met. And so when we continue to attach ourselves to people who don't find us worthy, then we continue, of course, to get damaged by them, and we continue to self-shame. What happens is that we keep trying to prove our worth to this person, or this might be a, you know, a, a career or a job or something else like that, too. And this is the hard part, Denise, that this other person or this other thing, organization, whatever it might be, doesn't find us worthy. And yet, we continue to try to prove our worth to them. In the daughter's study, there were a couple of, I call them life messages, but the daughters, um, well, we're talking about self-shaming. One of the daughters, I believe it was, I think it was um, Alejandra, kept saying, you know, I have to sacrifice myself in order to make other people happy. You know, she she was uh, the parentified adult in the household. She was always having to take care of others. And, and so were many of the other daughters as well because they didn't have these functioning mothers and many times under-functioning uh, fathers as well. So if you grow up with that belief system that you have to sacrifice yourself in order to take care of others, 
then of course you're going to find yourself in relationships that are unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It makes sense. It really does. So that, I mean, that's just one example. And, you know, I, gosh, you know, working with a couple of females right now and, and they're either in or trying to get out of some pretty, pretty unworthy attachments. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they're this one beautiful, articulate, successful, uh, younger, younger end of the forties, in her early forties, her self-shaming and life messages, wait till he finds out what I'm really like. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Or he, um, he's probably sizing me up. Mm. I mean, still, still attaching her value and her worth mm-hmm. to this individual who does not find her valuable. Mm, and it does go back to her upbringing and mm-hmm. never, ever, ever measuring up, in this case, to her father. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You'll find that a lot with fathers and sons as well. Yes. And I do want to say, too, with the mom, and this uh, this oftentimes is the case working both ways, is that the, the dominant parent who's doing the shaming, in this case it's the father, but the mom didn't step ever step in and defend or correct or or pull her daughter aside and say, honey, you know, this is just not okay. It's not true. Yeah. And so it was that, you know, that passive um, Passive, condoning of the behavior. Mm. Well, let's talk about interpersonal impact. Mm. Okay. Thank you, Denise. I, uh, this is something that is really important uh, in my work and and in in my reading, uh, my writing and my speaking is that. And I want to make clear, I'm not talking about interpersonal or intrapersonal. Because uh, right. people ask me, hey, what do you mean by inner personal inner. worth? Uh-huh. Yeah. And so what I mean by that is that these are those deep, um, I call them silent hidden, very private, personal, powerful pieces of our being. And one of the findings in the daughter study, these these are losses of our worth that that we we don't acknowledge or we don't verbalize or we don't talk about. And I have to say this too, Denise, many times therapists miss these, or at least I'll, I'll say I know I did Years ago, way back before I did my started doing my research um, on betrayal in general, is that I often would miss these with clients. So I just want to put that out there for other um, healthcare professionals that we need to really be listening for these deep interpersonal losses for the daughters. And Denise, I know because you read it, is the loss of your voice. Our voice is an external external representation. Of oh. the very core of who we are, of everything wow. that makes us who we are. And if we are afraid to speak up, if we are afraid to self-check this self-shaming life message, then not only, of course, is that going to continue, but, you know, daughters said things, I felt silenced. 
I felt so uh-huh. educated. Oh, gee. So the loss of voice, but there's so many others. And Denise, I want to just mention a few. Is yes, please do. The, the loss of dignity. Oh. The loss of dignity. Mm. I had a client who, I don't want to go into details because it was just, it's, it's very specific, but I'll just put it sure. this way, is that she was publicly self-shamed. Oh, I mean, excuse no. me. She was not. She was publicly shamed. Excuse me. Very, right. very public. Okay. Before it got out, she went to her parents and said, "This is what has happened," and they told her to suck it up. Oh no. This now. This is a strong. She's now a you know, grown woman, but she, this is very strong. But her dignity, mm-hmm. her identity, her innocence. Her integrity, her respect, and her reputation. Oh, those gosh. are all interpersonal losses. Mm. Those in that moment were shamed. Others include, I want to put this out there, speaking of identity, inequality, gender identity, cultural equality and identity racial equality and identity, when those are demeaned, diminished, and devalued, that goes to the core of who we are. Did she go into deep depression? She, you know, what we've identified is it was was a a huge, obviously, it was a huge trauma. She experienced post-traumatic stress disorder, Okay. And so, because she had, you know, flashbacks and nightmares, and but that went unattended. Oh no. Mhm. Mhm. Eating disorder. What a personal, a, a personal hell. Yes. So then that begins to show up, you know, in an eating disorder, in, um, like I said, nightmares, flashbacks, uh, also a substance addiction. Oh, jeez. So um, addressing these deeply rooted inner losses of interpersonal worth. And what was so mm-hmm. interesting, Denise, and this has happened with other clients, because it was minimized and diminished, just uh, dismissed, mm-hmm. is that when clients share these things with me, they just say it as a matter of factly. Mm-hmm. It, it like you know, and and I, of course, I'm sitting there, and I'll and I, I I'm reading their aspect and their mood, and I'm as we're peeling away other layers and things, and so I may not revisit that for another session or two, but I am going to get back to it when the client feels safe as we peel continue to peel away the layers, mm-hmm. and in several cases, if the individuals have been, I mean, it's the first time someone has said this must have hurt so much this must have been excruciatingly painful and then the tears come Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I say to them look me in the eyes this never ever should have happened Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm 
and it takes a while for them to take that in. Mm-hmm. I can't even imagine with social media now and all the kids, um, the individual traumas. Mm. Oh, Denise, don't get me started. <laughs> No, I, I, this is to me, and I do a lot of speaking, as, as you know, on, on our relationship with technology. And I, I do want to say right now it's a lifeline and you know, so, so grateful for all that we can do through, through all of our technology. At the same time, it, yes, it is just heartbreaking, Denise. Um, a couple of things that I, I just want to mention. One is that as this relationship with technology has developed and increased over time, and this is only a natural consequence of it, but it's, but it's really important that we understand this, is that individuals are attaching their worth to external and fleeting and artificial mm-hmm. sources of That's worth. Right. That's right. That's right. And so, they're instantaneous. Yes, it's it's just fleeting. It's just fleeting. Now we as adults can somewhat get that and navigate that, especially those of us who have had the prior experience of um, a non-digital life, and we know what real connection and authentic relationships are about. But for our digital natives, who predominantly again have their worth worth attached to the number of likes, the number of we retweets, follows, shares, etc. They then internalize that is that I'm not enough. I'm not popular. I don't have that outfit. I'm not going to those places. Something is wrong with me. And that oh. is not being addressed and self-checked by so by I don't just mean parents and guardians. I mean by other other adults in their lives that they need to have that face-to-face contact and that self-checking about what their worth, sustainable, authentic worth comes from within. Well, we live in such a fast-paced environment uh, with most households king. How does a parent keep up with their children on social media with regard to this conversation? Mm. I don't, I mean, they have their own passwords. You don't see what what they see, what they say. (laughs) I mean, it's all done in silence. Yes. I don't know. It's just got to be overwhelming. Denise, it is. And yet there, there are really, and I'm not here to tout my books. I, I just, it's why, again, I wrote Pilates for Parenting, Stretch Yourself and Strengthen Your Family. I have a whole section on, on this and what oh, good. parents can, good. can do. Yes. I, 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 and the other one, Power Down and Parent Up, it, it was a couple years old now or several years old. But it, it, there's, if we can just one thing is if you can, parents can carve out, it doesn't, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes a day to sit down with your child and say, tell me about your online life. 
Tell me about how, how you're feeling about yourself. Tell me on a scale of 1 to 10. Tell me um, how you're feeling today. Oh, I'm okay. I'm feeling a 7. Well, what would make it an 8 or a 9 or a 10? Well, if I had more friends on Facebook, if I hadn't been excluded on that you know, chat, that chat session, you start to, to just listen to them. Don't talk so much, but listen to them and find out what is their relationship and, and how that is serving them. It, I just want to put this out there, Denise, because it's such a beautiful exercise. The, the very beginning of Pilates, I have, this is a true story. It's called a heart check. And I got this from a mom um, that actually she was one of the editors for the daughter's book, and I just admired her and respected her so much. She had four children at the time. We were working together. Um, she was editing the daughter's book, uh, four children under the age of 12, just an incredible mom. And one day when she was over and we were going over some things, her, her kids were out in the yard playing and just coloring and drawing and playing and stuff. And, and, and I said, Becca, what is it that you do with your kids? They are so awesome. They're so amazing. They're so incredible. And they're so, you're so in tune with them. Mm-hmm. And she said, Holly, every night as I tuck each one of them in, is that I individually, I lay my head on their heart so that my ear is listening to their heartbeat. And I ask them, how is your heart feeling? What, do you, what does your heart want to tell me? And she said, and then I listen. And depending on what they say, she might ask a follow-up question and such. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she said, we call that in our family a heart check. I'll be darned. <laughs> what a beautiful, again, this, they went from age 12 to at that time about age four. Mm-hmm. Every night. How, how much time does that take, Denise, mm-hmm. to get a reading on where your kid is at? <laughs> wow. I just love that. Yeah. I, I've put that in. That's one of the first exercises that I I challenge parents to do. Mm-hmm. So there are little ways, there's little things, and there are big things that we can do to really get a pulse on how our kids are doing and what they need from us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. How can you choose the words becoming enough? Okay, thank you, Denise. When I'm talking about self-shaming and like in a workshop or if I'm writing about it, I, I want to give our, our, our audiences hope, and I say that we can move from self-shaming to becoming enough. And let me just first say about the word enough, and again, Denise, I know you know this from, from reading the daughter's book, is that mm-hmm. one of the self-shaming messages that was every single chapter was that the daughters didn't feel like she, they didn't feel like they were enough. I'm not enough. And one daughter, uh, even Anne, called it the not enough syndrome. So mm-hmm. enough is, is a really important word. And um, let me go back to becoming. Becoming is an ING word. It's a verb. And so what I love about ING words is it not only states what some, something is in the moment, 
but mm-hmm. also what is going to happen, what's ongoing. That's why I love the word recovering, because it's happening now, and it continues. It's, it's ongoing. It's never ending. But it's also a current state that exists. And so enough sometimes has a, a negative connotation, but if you look up enough, it means to be sufficient or to be as much as is needed. And so in becoming enough, when you do the healing work, you learn that your self-shaming can go into these self-healing life messages of I am enough and I'm going to continue working on becoming enough. It's a current state and an ongoing state. And so I love that because it validates Mm -hmm. the state that we're in and it also honors the ongoing work that we're doing. Yeah, I love that too. We're never done. <laughs> uh-uh. Uh-uh. Well, is there anything else you'd like to, to add? We've just got a few minutes left. I think just that I always want to, and to end with just a, a note of hope. And, um, I, and I've said several times today that, that it is, you know, when at whatever issue we're working on, if we're willing to do the hard work up front, we are going to reap the benefits and the rewards in the end. I, I know, I trust, and I believe in that wholeheartedly. And uh, the chapter titles of the daughter's book, I think, they started off. They say it. They say what I'm saying right now. They just uh, illustrate that that these daughters began with broken, broken, self-shaming left messages. And they ended with my life messages such as, I made me who I am. The power rests with me. I am vulnerable and I am enough. And I am the phoenix that is risen from the ashes. Daughters, as is true of so many other individuals that do the hard work, they continue doing it. And um, they are reaping the rewards of that. Well, in my view, you're a national treasure. Oh, Denise, thank you. Thank you. And you're a treasure for having people, folks like me on and allowing um, our messages of hope and healing to come through. So thank you so much for your commitment, (laughs) ongoing commitment in the work that you do. Mm, Thank you. So Holly has a website, www.hollykinley.com. And then all your books are located where for purchase? Easiest, most economical is Amazon. And especially during today in our, in our, in our restrictions and guidelines. So yeah, Amazon's the easiest place. Thank you so much for your time. Really, I always enjoy our interviews, and I always learn so much from you. Thank you, Denise. I appreciate it. Thank you. Take care and continue your wonderful work. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. That wraps up our interview for today. Please join in again next Wednesday. No, actually, we're going to be tomorrow. Uh, We have a great guest tomorrow. And um, until then, please be well. Bye-bye.
We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have. And follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit gotcancernowwhat.com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What? With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.